0: Welcome to the Congo Research Group podcast. My name is Jason Stearns. I'm the director of the Congo Research Group. We're a nonprofit research institution based at New York University, um, and this podcast is meant to inform and entertain people interested in Central Africa, the politics, and history. Today, we're extremely fortunate to welcome to our program, Professor Crawford Young. Uh, professor Young is a Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Wisconsin, an author of many books on African politics in the Congo, in particular, anybody who's really uh, studied Congolese politics or African politics has probably read Professor Young's work. Uh, he was also Dean of the Faculty of Social Science at the National University uh, in Lubumbashi between 1973 and 1975. So he has in-depth experience in terms of research, but also teaching in Zairean or Congolese institutions. Um, His uh, first book, Politics in the Congo, Decolonization and Independence, was published in 1965 and focused on independence and its aftermath. And Professor Young, it's really with that first book that I kind of want to start off with because um, this conversation between you and me was sparked by an interaction that started talking about templates for politics in the Congo. And, you know, you, you have templates, obviously Mobutu's template, which is uh, uh, an authoritarian uh, template, but which many Congolese um, perhaps nostalgically see also as accompanied by uh, a booming economy and political life, at least in the, the 1960s, where Zaire was, or in Congo at the time, was sending peacekeepers abroad, uh, had a, a very healthy economy, gave scholarship to its students, uh, a national mining company that provided health care and education to tens of thousands. And then the other template, to a certain extent, is the one that we've been going through relatively chaotically for uh, the last 13 or so years, uh, a democratic template with democratic institutions, uh, decentralization of politics. And this is also something that was experimented with in the 1960s. And I think that many people often forget about that experience in the 1960s. Many Congolese that I speak to remember the 1960s or at least know of the 1960s as uh, the aftermath of the independence is a very chaotic period and so you have these sort of competing templates of Congolese politics and I just wanted to ask you for your reflection on that as somebody who studied the Congo for decades now do you think it's fair to say that there are those competing templates and and how do you evaluate particularly the period of the 1960s
1: absolutely there are uh, dramatically conflictual templates uh... the phrase uh lapagai, uh, disorderly shambles, uh, to characterize the period that Mobutu uh, made ample use of, but was, became uh, a, a, a figure of speech that was widely invoked across the uh, political spectrum to characterize the First Republic, that is, the pre-Mobutu period. Uh, however, uh, in my experience of that era, uh, Pagai was present in some ways, but it was only part of the picture that the, uh, the, the key, some of the key leaders, like uh, Cyril Abdullah, long forgotten prime minister, uh, was a very decent guy. As far as I ever could find out, uh, he was not personally corrupt. Uh, he was very dedicated to his functions. He worked long hours at his desk, piled high with dossiers. Um, and, uh, but he's been more or less erased from uh, the historical memory. Uh, there were uh, some significant achievements. They, parliament did work its way through a new constitution, uh, which was not so different from uh, the uh, more recently uh, approved constitution of 2005, I think. Uh, they, uh, there was also a uh, uh, national election that took place in uh, uh, ni- uh, 1965 uh, at the time of the two recent elections There were many statements in the media that these were the first elections since the pre-independence ones. Mm -hmm. The 1965 uh, elections had totally vanished from historical memory, uh, of the external world at least. However, uh, it was a well-conducted election. There were uh, very, very few uh, contestations about uh, outcomes. And uh, it, uh, although it gave an outcome that didn't produce uh, a, a kind of a stable successor government to the uh, Adula, uh government, uh, nonetheless it was entirely organized by Congolese. There was no external assistance, no UN. Uh, there was no $500 million uh, that the last ones have, have, uh, have required. Uh, so it was uh, it was a counter template to the Pagai template that is so tends to be uh, dominant these days.
0: So you think the Pagai template, you, was that invented and foisted upon that period by Mobutu in order to demarcate himself from and to denigrate the previous period and to justify his authoritarianism?
1: Yes, I I think it's a widespread phenomenon in Africa. It certainly was in the first two or three decades of independence that any regime that came to power by a coup, most most frequently, uh, would always seek initial legitimacy by uh, denigrating its predecessor by... uh, invoking the uh, corruption and and, uh, misgovernance of their predecessors. So that was a standard tactic, and that was certainly employed by Mobutu. Uh, He had uh, a couple of key elements uh, to the Pagai image. One was uh, what proved to be the shortcomings of the... Uh, breakdown uh, the the replacement of the six original colonial provinces by 21 smaller Mm -hmm. ones theoretically more close to the population the process we're
0: going through right now at the moment with the creation of 26 out of 11
1: exactly it's the same it's the same thing and it's encountering some of the same difficulties that uh, to create a province out of scratch and uh, new capitals that had no infrastructure ready to, able to receive a governance structure uh, and uh, inadequate resources to carry out their most basic obligations. Uh, all of that meant that uh, although some of the 1965 or uh, 1963 new provinces functioned uh, reasonably well, Uh, A number did not. So the new provinces became uh, discredited in the public eye. So uh, Mobutu was able to uh, uh, partly weave this narrative of uh, relaunch of uh, the Congo uh, by sweeping away the new provinces uh, or reducing them to uh, 11, not to the original six, and uh, claiming that the, the uh, excessive decentralization had undermined the capacity of the state to be a dynamic promoter of, uh, of development.
0: And so you think that, do you think it would be a useful exercise to go back and do some historical work collectively in the Congolese, popular consciousness, to resurrect perhaps some of these figures you mentioned Adula Kasavubu others who had their flaws but certainly seemed to be of a different moral temperament and character than many sort of the political ideal that, of today
1: that that's right uh, the first president uh, Joseph Kasavubu uh, for example was uh, uh historically discredited in the eyes of uh, many by uh, his role in the ouster of the first prime minister, Patrice Lumumba, uh, who through his martyrdom in 1961 uh, became transformed from a leader with uh, virtues and flaws into a uh, heroic martyr to Congolese independence and African, uh, uh, African nationalism. Um, so, uh, but looking back at Kasabubu, uh he made serious efforts to be a constitutional president. Uh, his ouster of Lumumba did have some uh, constitutional justification, uh, although it was widely, uh, widely criticized and dismissed. Uh, and uh, when he uh, left, when Mobutu ousted him in uh, 1965, uh, he withdrew to his home village in the lower Congo and uh, died in 1969 really penniless. So it was uh, obvious that he had not secreted uh, large numbers of uh, public, large amounts of public resources like uh, Mabutu had done, and, and so many African leaders. Hmm.
0: Just going back, I, mean, I, I kind of have to ask you now that you mentioned Lumumba. Um, what about him as sort of an archetype or template? I mean, he only spent six months, if, if even that, really in office and power. And yet he has such a reason. I mean, he is the primordial figure of Congolese politics, if you will, nobody has, quite every sitting president has to make reference to Lumumba in speeches and in inaugurations and in giving names to streets and stadiums. Um, what about him as uh, as an archetype or a template for a communist politician?
1: Well, uh, Lumumba, it, it, in the case of Lumumba, it's, it's very difficult today to separate out uh, his Uh, historical image as a martyr to African independence uh, from the really existing Lumumba uh, uh, who was uh, prime minister from uh, June 1960 until September 1960, only three months. Um, During that period, uh, the Congo crisis, the mutiny of the army, the uh, loss of control by uh, the central government of uh, important parts of the country and Mobutu's uh, rather loom of his uh, desperate efforts to uh, cope with that uh, which uh, uh, really overwhelmed him. Uh, uh, Also uh, he, during his Really existing period as prime minister, uh, he had his supporters, but he had a, a lot of bitter enemies as well in in the political universe of uh, 1960. And so, uh, it in in the post 1965 period, and especially uh, since that time, inscribed in his the. Congolese historical memory uh, of of him is really uh, only the uh, heroic side as uh, a champion of true African nationalism uh, as uh, one passionately committed to the unity and the development of of, uh, his country rather than the uh, somewhat more complex persona that... uh, you might derive by a careful analysis of his uh, pathway to the prime ministership and and his uh, very brief tenure in actual office.
0: The um, one of the things that I, I I wonder today, as we're breaking the country up into twenty six provinces, uh, an experience as you said that was already uh, gone through in the nineteen sixties, is the the reforging or perhaps the forging anew of some sort of social contract between the people and the state. There really has never been a functional social contract, at least that I can perceive between the people and the state, certainly not during the colonial period when the state was an extractive, uh, sometimes brutally oppressive state. Uh, And also not during the post independence period. Although you may say that in that, those initial period of 61 to 64, that that experience was beginning. Do you think that, um, how, how could, I mean, is there is there a lesson, are there lessons from history in trying to create that social contract between the people and the state? I mean, on the one hand, it's always been mediated, at least for many Congolese, by customary chiefs and customary leaders, which is a complicated experience in itself. And the current constitution, uh, again, legitimates those customary chiefs in areas where they hold, where, where they're hereditary customary chiefs in the cheferi, that is... They are now legitimized by the state and they're administrators of the state, even though it's a hereditary title. And so I guess there's several questions there. But the broad question is, how do you create some sort of social contract, a functioning, accountable social contract between citizens and the state?
1: Well, uh, I, I do think not everybody agrees with me on this, that a critical element of that is to uh, have the uh, image and hopefully in good part reality of a constitutional rule of law state that, uh, is, uh, that uh, operates a legal order, that I- a-, a rule of law that is respected. Um, now, One of the curious things in the uh, transition to independence which, in many in, in many instances, uh, were uh, the occasion for extensive negotiations between the nationalist challengers and the uh, withdrawing colonial power, and uh, so uh, fairly carefully drafted constitutions uh, were pretty widespread in 1960. Uh, However, they were uh, quickly overtaken by the politics of single-party regimes and later one-man rule. Um, Now, uh, the one interesting thing about those constitutions was that not a single one of them uh, had any term limits for presidents as part of those constitutional settlements. Uh, somehow it, it never entered the minds, either of the colonizers or their uh, adver- nationalist adversaries, that uh, uh, blocking life presidents was something that was an important constitutional provision. Um, and in, ni- in 1990, when uh, democratization uh, really swept the continent, And uh, nearly all countries, to some degree, experienced a uh, necessity of a political opening and and toleration of uh, opposition parties and uh, genuine elections and so forth. Um, Now, uh, those 1990 constitutions, which were also uh, often the result of very careful uh, preparation, negotiation, and study, consultation of uh, international, other African, and uh, even global uh, constitutional precedents that could uh, provide, uh, help provide uh, elements of a model for uh, the new constitutions that uh, were being drafted. And uh, equally striking here is that uh, the great majority of them. Uh, had term limits two term limits Um, now uh, it didn't take long before little by little measures were being taken to uh, erase or eliminate uh, those constitutions uh, often by semi-legal ways by referenda or or, uh, a dominant party controlled Parliament sufficiently to uh, eliminate them um, so, but there there are a number that still uh, uh, prevail and in a number of key countries like Nigeria like ne- uh, Zambia regimes that uh, tried to erase constitutional limits uh, found themselves uh, in great trouble by and and were unable to politically to, to do so. Now, Congo is a recent example of that, uh, that uh, uh, Joseph Kavila wanted parliament to erase the uh, term limit. Uh, but the, he, even, even his, uh, not tame, but uh, his uh, department with the majority from his, uh, his party or its allies, uh, was unable to, uh, to uh, remove the two-term limits, so he's been trying, it seems, to uh, combat that by what is, what is being called glissement, or uh, just uh, uh, delaying elections uh, on one pretext after another, uh, so that uh, even though his term is about to be officially over, uh, he he is going to be staying on for a time. Uh, I think I, I think the two-term constitutional limit has been, uh, in places it's been uh, actually applied, a a very healthy uh, obstacle towards the reconstitution of the authoritarian th- authoritarian states that were uh, led Africa to the. Uh, Grave crisis that afflicted it in the 1980s when they were, the continent as a whole was going downhill, uh, not just politically but also uh, economically, and the failure of uh, single-party, one-man rule, uh, autocratic states uh, became uh, very evident.
0: So, to 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 get back to the the question regarding sort of popular legitimacy. Uh, social contract between the governed and the governors. Uh, I guess what you're what you're saying is is that over time, at least, if you do have the rule of law, the constitutional rule of law imposed, then what we're seeing now in terms of a relatively corrupt, dysfunctional democracy, which is what the Cong- Congo currently is, yeah. Uh, you 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 have you seem to be very op- you seem to be optimistic that it holds within it the promise that over time. These institutions, that these fledgling institutions are going to become stronger through uh, repeated elections, perhaps, and that the citizens are going to be able to control and perhaps hold their own rulers to account.
1: I uh, I think if one looks across the continent, there are uh, a number of instances where that has happened. It's true that the democratization wave in 1990. Uh, really did not succeed in, uh, institutionalize, in institutionalizing uh, democratic regimes. I, I do think that some form of not just rule of law, but uh, politically open regimes where contestation of incumbents is uh, through one means or another, through the electoral mechanism, through uh, term limits, uh is, is possible uh, in in order to uh, block the uh, historically demonstrated tendency for one-man rule to uh, wind up becoming increasingly predatory uh, and oppressive uh, uh, and unable to effectively uh, manage uh, the meet the developmental challenges of the regimes now hey go ahead
0: do you think um do you think that so i mean i guess we are referring to countries such as senegal ghana nigeria where you've had uh not only repeated elections but also transfer of power between them between various between different different parties zambia um uh for each of those countries that I just cited, you could probably cite in Ethiopia or Uganda or Rwanda where you have different models, ones that are more conformed perhaps with the 1970s and 80s with the one-party state, even though those three countries I cited are actually all countries created by rebel movements that sought to overthrow that, that model of governance and have sort of recreated that very same model of governance, although on more neoliberal terms. Um, do you think that the trend in the continent will be more towards that, the democratic experiments that have been amply criticized by their own citizens in Ghana, Nigeria, elsewhere, as you know, entrenching corruption? You have this famous study by, or this famous, at least, mentioned by Paul Collier, that building a dam under an autocracy in Nigeria costs X million, and building a dam under in a democratic Nigeria costs three or four times as much, just because of the nature of the patrimonial state and democracy. do you, Are you nonetheless optimistic that we're going to head towards a more democratic system, or at least that those democratic experiments have been in the long term more successful than the more autocratic ones?
1: Well, uh, I think one can look at the period after independence, where uh, in Africa as a whole, the 53 or 54 countries, counting South Sudan, uh, where uh, only two countries have uh, operated politically without any constitutional interruptions, uh, without any military takeovers or or, uh, one-man rule uh, regimes. Those two are Botswana and Mauritius. Now, uh, if you were to... uh, Average as I tried to do in the last chapter of my uh, recent uh, book on the postcolonial state, uh, the uh, country uh, rating indexes uh, of different sorts that have emerged in the last couple of decades: Freedom House, Transparency on on freedom and democracy, uh, Transparency International on uh, on corruption. The uh, a human Development uh, Index uh, that UNDP operates on quite uh, uh, cri- uh, yard yardsticks of of, of uh, uh, social uh, economic uh, uh, well-being uh, that it it turns out that those two countries uh, invariably. Uh, are stand at the very top of uh, performing states now I wouldn't they're they're very small countries uh it's worth recalling that at the time of independence both of those two countries were regarded as the most among the most unpromising of uh, African economies and, and polities uh, and i i i do think that it's uh a uh, harder to find really successful examples of uh, of the autocratic pathway over time. Now, uh, people cite, and uh, and as you just mentioned, uh, Ethiopia and uh, Rwanda as uh, possible examples of uh, successful authoritarian regimes, and it is interesting that both those leaders uh, invoke the Chinese example as a model of uh, effective authoritarian development. Um, they uh, whether whether either any either of those two or any other African state has the uh, state capacity of a country like China. Uh, both historically and, uh, and at the present time, and, and can really manage a kind of comprehensive uh, state-dominated economy and polity uh, of the uh, Chinese nature is, uh, I think, open to question. Um, it, there there could well be uh, countries that for a period of time uh, do fare well, uh, it's, it's hard to deny that Rwanda has done uh, uh, surprisingly well in the post-genocide period under the leadership of Paul Kagame. Uh, on the other hand, it is a very authoritarian state, and uh, if you're not one of those who are of the uh, dominant ethnic group uh, or uh, politically directly connected to it, uh, your, your views tend to be less, uh, less generous about the effectiveness of the kakame regime. Uh, the present uh, halimariam regime in uh, uh, Ethiopia uh, has the same thing. They're facing uh, very serious tensions with the uh, Oromo activists, the largest ethnic group in the country, and there have been serious disorders in their border regions. Uh, yet, it's true that they, uh, they have, uh, in purely economic developmental terms, in a uh, recent period, uh, fared uh, fairly well. So, uh, there is a case to be made. And even uh, in Congo, Mobutu, in his early years, up till uh, about 1974, was in many ways an effective ruler that... Uh, when, after he seized power, he uh, managed to uh, run the table in bringing on board most of the uh, social and, and political tendencies in the country, uh, students, labor, uh, various regional leaderships and whatnot. And... Uh, uh, at first, uh, his, uh, he, he listened to good advice economically, <clears throat> which was not the case later on. Uh, and with the help, support of uh, IMF, uh, and a, 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 it was a major uh, economic stabilization program in 1967 that was uh, surprisingly successful and stabilized the currency of the country until uh, the middle 1970s. Um, however, <clears throat> uh, that uh, gradually veered away from uh, the kind of uh, support of all sectors of the populace. And uh, by uh, when Mobutu, by 1965, 75 began to make uh, uh, catastrophic economic uh, steps such as the uh, confiscation of the property of a wide range of commercial establishments owned by Belgians or Greeks or Portuguese or South Asians uh, that wound up uh, and, and awarding them as a patrimonial booty uh, to his uh, political clientele uh who were totally unable to effectively manage these uh, enterprises and uh, many of them were uh, run into the ground fairly quickly um, and uh that was the beginning of the what became by the nineteen eighties the accelerating un- unraveling of the uh, Congolese uh, economy and Mobutu himself. Uh, Increasingly, had uh, recourse to uh, raiding the treasuries of the big nationalized mining corporations, Jicamine, and uh, as well as the uh, uh, now nationalized uh, diamond mining company, Miba, uh, uh, to the extent that uh, his uh, his tapping into their Resource into their mining revenues uh, uh, prevented them from uh, performing basic maintenance on their infrastructure. And by the 1990s, the uh, copper production in, in particular had uh, uh, dropped by over 90%. Uh, so uh, there, there is, I think, a strong tendency of uh, the authoritarian formula, which may be in a short or even middle-run period uh, effective uh, to, uh, over time, uh, degenerate into something that is neither politically successful nor economically viable.
0: To turn to perhaps my last question, which is the current situation. We started talking, we had a long discussion now about Congolese history comparative political trajectories across the continent today as you know the congo is at a decisive moment in its history the upcoming elections that are scheduled for later this year but extremely unlikely to happen later this year could mark the first democratic transfer of executive power well depending on how you define executive power but since the 1960s or it could bring about um the first peaceful transfer, I meant to say, uh, of executive power. Or it could bring about the erosion or even the eclipse of democratic institutions that were created by the peace process in which uh, the international community has invested billions of dollars and they produced a constitution that was approved by a dramatic majority of, of Congolese in, in the 2005 referendum. Um, what do you think, I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts in general about this sort of moment. I, I know that you're not following the minutia of colonies politics day to day, but uh, in terms of this sort of decisive moment, but also in particular, since we're based in the United States, uh, the position that donors should take. The U.S. government has taken a very aggressive stance, uh, one could say, sanctioning um, the police comman- commander, of the police inspector of Kinshasa recently, but also Senate and Congress have... Uh, uh, past resolutions that uh, in the United States condemning uh, uh, and the Congolese government's actions and encouraging democratic elections. Uh, what do you think the stance should be? Do you think that aggressive stance uh, is is merited on this particular issue, or do you think that it sort of feeds into this dependency politics where answers come from outside, or perhaps those two things aren't mutually exclusive?
1: Well, it, it's hard for the outside to really have a complete knowledge of the complex disorders that you have written so excell- eloquently about in the, uh, the Kivus in particular, that, uh, uh, whose uh, continual uh, resistance to any kind of uh, final resolution uh, is uh, very much compromises uh, the, the prospects for the country as a, as a whole, uh, even though large parts of the country are uh, uh, relatively <clears throat> peaceful and have not been afflicted by this, this kind of uh, chronic and insoluble uh, a complex of uh, multiple militias and whatnot that afflict the, the Kibus. There, uh, I I do think that the uh, the original 2005 Constitution and the 2006 elections uh, were a major step forward and did, uh, at first, provide a framework for a a possible relaunch of the Congolese state. (coughs) Uh, uh, Since that time, although there are some positives uh, one of the surprising things is that uh the uh, national authorities have maintained uh maintained the capacity to sustain the currency that there ha- has not been uh the recurrence of the, recurrence of the hyperinflation that aff- afflicted congo in the 90s uh and it, i'm told that uh there is a, a real core of competence in the uh center of the uh present uh, government uh, especially in the bank the Nash central bank and the finance ministry that uh, permits a uh, sufficient uh uh management of the uh the the economy to uh, preserve a uh, reasonable stability on that front, while politically it's another story that uh, and I, I think in the uh, progressive erosion of uh, Joseph Kabila's legitimacy as president, uh, which was reasonably strong in uh, initially because he was willing to cooperate with the international community in trying to uh, formulate a, a, a new framework for uh, uh, ending conflict and, and uh, bringing uh, some kind of constitutional rule uh, and then uh, in his first years uh, his his notion of the uh, uh, the cinq chantier or the the five, Kinds of uh, infrastructural uh, projects to restore <clears throat> a a basic basic uh, infrastructure for the country were uh, well designed, and he got a, attracted a fair amount of international support for that, and had that had some accomplishments. But uh, <clears throat> uh, over time, his uh, legitimacy, it seems to me, has uh, seriously eroded. Um, uh, there are a couple of alternatives out like out there that uh, look look reasonably uh, persuasive as, as possibilities. The, the former Katanga governor Katumba was uh, a quite competent uh, governor of uh, Katanga, and uh, was uh, uh, he was a very wealthy man. He had no need to be uh, predatory or, or, or corrupt, and, um, <clears throat> uh, and, and there are some others in the uh, political universe. So, I think uh, that uh, the application of the two-term limit uh, would be very helpful for Congo and move on to a, a post-Kabila epic.
0: <clears throat> All right, well... Professor Young, thank you very much uh, for your thoughts on these many, many different issues. I certainly hope that you continue writing about African and Congolese politics as uh, as long as you can, and um, uh, I certainly uh, enjoy talking to you.
1: And the same here. Uh, thanks so much for uh, all your invaluable work, uh, particularly the Dancing with Monsters book, which I found immensely illuminating on the... Uh, Unraveling the extraordinary complexity of, uh, of, of conflicts in the Eastern Congo, and um, uh, and and in other respects, to your uh, efforts to document current uh, Congo affairs, I hope uh, will will continue. I appreciated the opportunity to appear with you.
0: Thank you very much.